Around the NFL Podcast. Wants more preseason games. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Boys, the week rolls on. Training camp's opening up. Looks like my boy Zach Wilson even signed a contract. I thankfully tried to steer myself out of all the mentions and the trolling going on in my direction about that. It was going to happen. Zach's in <laughs> camp. Now the NFL season can start. Yeah, Zach. Yeah. I mean, I don't rookie Lead story. Like no, yeah, rookie holdouts, training camp holdouts. They're they're a thing of the past. There literally was not a training camp holdout. I get. I guess Zach Wilson was. Was it? But he doesn't. He wasn't under contract, so it doesn't even count. A pretty soft holdout. I mean, was there any drama that he was going to not show up for weeks? I mean, he he was officious enough to get on a red eye flight last night, then promise mm. he would do something today. I took one of those um, to the East Coast a couple weeks ago and was an absolute mess on the other side. Ooh. So I don't. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Well, how, it's a, how it's he a sign he doesn't take football as seriously as like Mac Jones. Mac Jones is like a <laughs> sure. grinder. He, like he was, that. he told his agent just like, get me in there. Just, I love ball. Uh, I want to be out there competing with Cam Newton. I don't want um, <laughs> Mike white or whoever's throwing passes, James Morgan for the jet. I don't want them, you know, ruining practice for a couple days. Like I love ball. Um, but much like the Detroit lions a few years ago, Zach Wilson just shows up a few days late. Zach, can you, Ricky, can you put some like <laughs> echo on my voice? I want to tell you, about Mac Jones's inner monologue in his first pro training camp. Is that how oh, like he just threw a pass like, oh, damn it. Why am I not having fun? I thought I would get to the NFL and I'd be having the time of my life. Why is this? Ah, oh, this coach is so mean. Where's the joy? No one smiles up here. Everyone smiled at my old college. Oh, yeah. Nick Saban. There's a ball of laughs. <laughs> Well, and no one here. Who was that in my ear? Don't know. I want to go back to the way it was or to another team. I guess I'll have to wait four to five years. That's what's going on in his head right now. Hey, nobody has fun up there. Well, that's shaky, there. too. That's very shaky, yeah. if, that's, if that's true. All right. Winning's Good show fun. today. Winning's fun. That's what Patrick Chung responded when uh, when this this. I do like this topic comes up a lot in New England, of whether they're having fun or not. Somehow that's become important. Well, here's here's the problem. Here's the problem. You can run like a no nonsense, no levity operation as long as you win a Super Bowl every other year. But what happens if you stop winning Super Bowls all the time? Is that act going to work as your coach gets older and older? I listen. I'm not. I'm not saying gradual decline for Bill Belichick, but I am kind of saying it. Uh, I don't know if his game is going to work. Uh, I mean, anymore. it was a steep decline last year, so he's he's. Um... He's uh, facing a big season. His defense, he's a defensive coach, stunk last you think year. There's forget, any even, scenario. forget even the Brady stuff. Like, his defense stunk. He needs he needs a bounce back. I think he'll get it um, to some degree on defense. There's a little tease for our, our guest there, Aaron Schatz. He believes, or at least his numbers believe, that the Patriots are going to get it on defense. That's true. They have Good the Patriots tease. looking like a Patriots team from two years ago. It's a little surprising. A little surprising. Is there any scenario that now all the Patriots listeners are going to get on Twitter and everywhere else and say what a ass I am. But is there any scenario where Bill Belichick is ever on the hot seat? Like, will Robert Kraft ever have to fire Bill Belichick? Could that, well, Tom Landry got fired in Dallas. 
that was ownership change. Maybe it would have to be something like that. Otherwise, Bill can just ride this thing out however long he wants, you'd think. I, I think that's that's probably right. But I, I do think there is a scenario where Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft stop getting along for whatever reason. And you would imagine it would have to do with losing. And that, to me, could happen anytime. Because uh, I, I think there's always there's just like a little bit of... A little bit of tension there in terms of who's the boss. And uh, if things ever went south, I think that's what would happen. But ultimately, it would probably be up to Bill Belichick. Well, Bill Belichick will leave when he wants to, I think. The one thing that he's learned, I mean, if you read any of his sort of autobiographical, you know, books, there's some great ones out there, that what happened to him with Art Modell in Cleveland made him realize that ownership is so important. So, Dan, the thing you're suggesting where let's say a new owner comes in and wants to sweep everything out, it's a Tom Landry-type figure, I think Belichick would be like, there's no way I'm signing up with a new owner. Well, I mean, Kraft's not going anywhere. That that thing is staying in, in there. He'll hand it off to the Kraft child and then, then that child's child. Uh, he famously went to New England because he wasn't comfortable with the ownership structure in coming with the Jets, which turned out to be a very smart move by Mr. Belichick. All right, enough of that. Yes, Aaron Schatz is coming on. Aaron Schatz is the godfather of DVOA. Or the father? I don't know, because like, father is better than godfather. I mean, I think yeah, he, he, I he mean, helped he made it. it so, yeah, so. Godfather is like a title of respect. You're like the Don. Greg still hasn't seen the movie, so this is all going over his head. But... Um, the fa- when you're the just actual father, me on which, blast there. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. When you're the father of something, you created it, and he did create DVOA. So Aaron Chats is on the show. Uh, his great football outsiders almanac uh, just dropped, and we're going to dig into a few of his uh, team projections that jumped out to us. Uh, but before we do that, let's hit the news. Born 1989 in New Orleans, Louisiana, Lil Romeo is the son of music legends, rappers Master P and Sonya C. Signed at just five years old after he rapped to his dad, Lil Romeo hit the big time in the early 2000s when his debut single went platinum. (laughs) All right, Greg, let me break this down. So Greg, on the last show, uh, we delved into a hip-hop conversation and... And at some point, whenever we start talking hip hop, at some point, Greg gets a little uncomfortable, says this is the whitest conversation ever. He's always right. right. He's always right. <laughs> but here's the thing for me. I depend on Greg to help keep the ship afloat whenever possible. No. Uh, because Greg does like rap famously. So we need Greg to be on point. OK, just like if we're having a conversation about mid 90s alternative rock, you can depend on me to make sure we're getting we're crossing the T's and dotting the I's. So when you Steve Winwood, Mark's got it. He's got it covered. <laughs> I, I've got you in that that realm. Elvis Presley, Mark, right down the. Not right down absolutely the pipe. not. <laughs> he changed the face of American rock. Uh, you you can Greg, believe don't what deflect. it was like. Do not deflect, Greg. <laughs> anyway, my point is, you said that uh, Master P's son is Bow Wow. Oh, Incorrect. That was bad. That was it's so Lil bad. Romeo. Uh, that was from Lil Romeo's. Uh, uh, Cribs Kid Edition on MTV about 20 years ago. And we just need you to be a little bit better and carry us in those moments. When it gets overly white and uh, uh, ignorant, we need you to jump in and, and get these things right. Otherwise, it makes us look that much worse. It, it was tough. Um, you know, you get, I'm getting older, and uh, it was just like a little, a little brain fart there. I was there when, you know, I was in New Orleans. Little Romeo was, was on the radio and whatnot. If I, you know, once someone sent uh, the first of 
you know, roughly 174 <laughs> tweets uh, telling me I was wrong. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. How did I how did I do that in the moment? But, you know, it's a live it's a live thing. And my brain is has been addled over the years for many reasons. <laughs> and Lil Romeo uh, also went on to get a D1 scholarship with USC to play yep. basketball. I don't know where things went from there, but uh, Greg does. It's a good lesson. Like sometimes like what what makes a good athlete, podcaster, whatever. It's like you sometimes you're going to take massive L's and you just have to accept it and then come strong the next time. Like there there was this top chef contestant uh on this last season, Don, loved her. And she wouldn't she wouldn't get the last uh, item of food on the plate and that would be like her first course out of 5 and she would respond and the next three <laughs> courses would be great. That's what I'm going to try to do. She was a former Olympian. I'm like an Olympian in the podcast game. I mean, you've, you've labeled yourself in the realm of great. That <laughs> I just thought that's the, the attitude premise, I need to yeah. have to bounce back because it was a I totally glazed blow. over there. It's like when Mark makes a Star Wars reference and I'm just, it's so foggy. It's like driving on the Palisades Parkway near the George Washington Bridge on a really foggy day, like foggy <laughs> night. Like that was what it was like just now for me uh, when you made a Top Chef reference. I don't know how the, the how that game works, but it sounds like the contestant struggled. She, yeah, she she struggled, but she would bounce back like a pro. That's what I hope, I'm hoping to do. I mean, D- Dan, the self-anointed pop culture guy, like has not has no no concept of one of the, the groupings of films that changed film forever. <laughs> I find that to be an odd stance. Like, and no, and, I have a no, I have a have dark. A, I have a real blind spot with movies of the 70s and 80s that I've been open about. That I've been trying to check boxes on that. And I know Star Wars is something I'm going to have to hit eventually because I don't want to deny my children if they get into it. I'm not that type of I'm not that type of guy um, or father, but it's not something that I'm I'm looking forward to. But one one little thing and then we'll move on because you put me in a box for like I'm one of these like nerds. Like I, I would tell you that. Only three of like the fourteen films they've done have any traction to me. The rest of it is like he, we flotsam get this speech. In space. We get this speech no, every time, so times. No, and the truth the truth comes out at a, at twelve forty seven on a random Tuesday when you break down your frustrations and your rankings and you're doing it. It's okay. Like you're just like a lot of Star Wars. You're into the whole thing, even if you don't like some of it. You keep coming back strong. They That's mean also a lot. incorrect. Also, we can, we can tackle this another time. That is we, just I simply mean, incorrect. We have. Why are you getting not, so defensive? Let's not tackle like, it another time. You I, love Star Wars. I was like, wow, we got no, into the news like, so quick. So, it was I a real football start to no, the show. I love Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. I, I find a lot it. of just, it to be, be manufactured yourself. junk. You spend no. hours drawing pictures of Star Wars <laughs> characters. <laughs> That's all right. You know okay. what's funny? It's, it's funny because I think the way you are with Star Wars, Mark, is the way I am with what my favorite thing might be, which is the band U2. It's a band that gets a lot of criticism. Um, and I, to me, despite them being a global act, it, it's a very private experience for me. Like listening to my favorite band, like most of the time that I've enjoyed my favorite thing, it's alone. So it's kind of, it feels almost intrusive when all of a sudden you have to talk about this thing that you love so much uh, privately. Is Star Wars on some level that to you, you've enjoyed it hundreds and hundreds of hours of it alone, like staring at Luke Skywalker and, <laughs> and uh, what's her name in the bikini with the big oh, monster. Please. Like, and, and you, and you're saying, come on, don't, don't bring me into this. This is my little thing. This is my little world. Stay out of my world. All right. I think that's well said. <laughs> Job of the hut. Nailed it. Got it. And what a victory for you. <laughs> what a victory for the green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers. 
he is back with the team and he delivered a extended press conference uh, with his media availability on Wednesday talking about all the things, basically answering a lot of the questions that we've all had uh, throughout the spring and summer. Um, so let's start. Let's let Roger speak a little bit here, starting with uh, did he seriously consider retiring? He says he did. Uh, however, there's still a big competitive hole in my body that I need to fill. And as I got back into my workouts, um, I just realized that I know I can still play and I want to still play. And as long as I feel like I can give 100% uh, to the team, then I should still play. And he also uh, wanted to make it clear that this big to-do around him, uh, nobody should be feeling for Aaron Rodgers. He gets it in the big picture. I'm not a victim here. Uh, I've made a ton of money here, and I've been really fortunate to play a long time and to play here. Um, at the same time, I'm still competitive, and I still feel like I can play. I proved it last year. So, All right, so Mark, as we get into this, we had talked about it on Monday. You had mentioned that he was unhappy about a lack of say in personnel, and that's, that is where the focus of his, his uh, commentary was in this press conference. To me, it feels like it's a little deflecting because I think a guy as proud and touchy as he is, a lot of it really does go back to the simple first-round pick of the kid last year. I still think that, but this probably is part of it. I don't think he's lying, uh, but he, he, he cited examples and was very clear that if this is going to work going forward, it can't be the way it was in terms of freezing me out of personnel matters. I think if anything, you know, after we spent so many months um, wondering, questioning, theorizing what it was, was that was at the heart of this, I do think that he was being pretty honest. I, I, I mean, he made it clear to some degree, uh, he said it multiple times, it was not about money. And I think if you look at the actual movement or non-movement of money, that stands to be true at this point. I do think it reminds me of someone who has been working, uh, let's say, at a company for a really long time. There have been a lot of changes, a lot of transitions, but they've remained like the biggest producer, the star. And there is, to some degree, I think, a real sense of a lack of respect um, in the way that he's been treated to some degree. I would say this about Aaron Rodgers. Like, I don't I find him quirky. Um, I don't know if like what happened yesterday. Is You're not the way a fan. That- I, 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 I look at it, I can separate like the, the athlete and, and, and see how much of an accomplished person he is. But for me, a lot of it is, um, and I don't, you know, we can get into it, but like the naming of all these players that he felt that the organization disrespected while you, while you were arguing also, and part of his conversation was, I want to say, I want to seat at the table and in, in movements that we make other quarterbacks and certainly in other sports, we see that and that's growing. It's not going away. It's getting bigger. And I think Aaron Rodgers sees you know, someone like Tom Brady and other quarterbacks and says, I want that too. I've earned that. And there's a reason to say you have earned that. But when I, what I think there's the disconnect where it starts to bug me a little bit is that the reparations are made where you mention all these guys that were at the, at most of them at the end of their careers and a general manager, a lot of it, Ted Thompson, not Brian Gutekunst had to make tough decisions and move on from certain players. That's what a real GM does. When the Patriots cut a guy two years before his value is nothing they're praised for it. But in this case, the front office took a bullet to the face, which I just simply didn't agree with. And then the turnaround is, hey, we're going to now I have a say we're going to go sign Randall Cobb. I just to me, it kind of to me was illustrative of why most players should not have a seat at the general manager's table. A little bit of influence. We want to listen to you. Yes. But all this stuff that Aaron Rodgers has been upset about um, does not make him qualified to do that job. No, but he made a pretty good argument. Like I, 
listening to them, this is what I want out of athletes is for them to just be transparent in what they say or want. He's obviously very intelligent. And so like, I appreciated it. And the, the way he put it, helped convince me because you're right mark like you look at all those moves first of all you're not going to get them all right and when he's bringing up jordy nelson and like cobb and jake coomer i'm like you're you're not gr- making the greatest point here rogers because did those guys look like they had much left a- after they left green bay no i think dan's right it is a little all to the side of the fact that he wasn't involved in the decision to draft the guy who is to replace him. And that, that is what it's it's sort of all about. But I do think like the way he put that he just wanted to be involved in the conversation was pretty smart. We, ha- we have a good clip of it, Ricky, um, th- that I'd like to listen to now. Decisions like that that have happened over and over and over again that make me realize that the organization looks at me and my job is just to play. In my opinion, based on what I've accomplished in this league, um, the way I care about my teammates, the way I show up in the locker room, the way I lead, the way I conduct myself in the community, it should tie myself to a little bit more input. The rules, you know, are the same for most people, but every now and then there's some outliers, you know, guys who've been in an organization for 17 years and won a few MVPs where they can be in conversations at a different higher level. Um, I'm not asking for anything that other other great quarterbacks across uh, across the last few decades have not gotten, you know, the opportunity mm. to just be in conversation, you know. So if you're going you're gonna to cut a guy who, based on a meritocracy, was our second best receiver in training camp last year for the majority of camp, maybe run it by me. See what I feel. I might be able to change your mind. You know what, Greg? It, he makes points, but I do. I understand what Mark's saying. It's a you new boss to... syndrome, don't you think? Like his boss, Gutekunst, is new. He's he's been there three or four years, or whatever it's been. And Rogers been there seventeen, and that I to me is like at the to heart me. Of there's it. something unbecoming about the the directness and the criticism of the organization in this press conference where he's sitting wearing the Packers hat and the shirt. And I don't know. It's just like he's right in the sense that. Or he's picking up on what's happening, not just in football, but in professional sports. Uh, and I'll cite the NBA specifically, uh, but I'm sure you could find it all over the world in different sports. Now, the players are having a greater voice in terms of the direction of an organization. It's not just in the case of football, um, purely from a, a playing standpoint, shut up and throw a spiral. It's about it's about this guy saying, I should have a bigger voice. You should have me in the room. And that's that's tricky because that can go either way. But you understand where this is coming from because he's picking up on what's going on in the world. And he makes a good point. I just I just think with him uh, uh, specifically citing who's the quarter, who's the wide receiver he's referring to there. The I guess Kumaro. I, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing like, he means yeah. what are we doing here. Like, right, what he's trying to right. do is rubbing. He's trying to rub Gutekunst's nose in this stuff now. And it's the same thing with the Randall Cobb move, which, Mark, you said he was signed. It was a trade that to get him right. from the Texans. And guess what? Gutekunst, who, who let go and let Cobb go in a different direction, went to Dallas, and then uh, he ended up with in Houston on a bad contract that Bill O'Brien gave him, overpaid a player in decline. And now, as a make good to Aaron Rodgers, Brian Gunnikans has to publicly trade for this guy. And I don't know if they inherit all the salary. I don't know the specifics on that. They don't. They don't. They're they five out of eight. Point two five million. The Texans are thrilled. You look at the, the Texans are thrilled. Receivers. Anyone took Randall yes. Cobb off their team because I don't think he was even going to make the Texans. That is Aaron Rodgers. That's just the Cowboys, the Packers getting down and genuflecting in front of him and being like, "Okay, we'll give in this in this situation." But I'll tell you what, 
Aaron Rodgers' play starts going downhill, and the Packers are not going to forget any of this. I don't think this is very – I would imagine he, this is not a good luck behind the scenes. They're very upset the way he's handling – he's handled this entire saga right down to the press conference, and they will kick his butt out the door as soon as they decide that he's – not as valuable as the money that he's getting paid. I, I just, I don't like but it. I here's just the other don't thing. like he, it. He, he openly wants to be somewhere else next year. I don't care what they say. I mean, this is the final year. And I, I you know, I, I've had Packer fans coming at me because, you know, when, when you critique this stuff, you don't get us. We're fine. We're happy to have Aaron Rodgers for one more season. Okay. That's a subset of you. But I would also look at some players in the locker room. Like here is a quarterback as great as he is. This guy is, and, and I think players today understand the business side is the business side. You try to bury it and you move on. And I think that's what they'll do. But there have got to be certain personality types in that locker room that say, this guy is telling everyone, I don't want to be here after this season. Because basically Aaron Rodgers did not win this. This is not why he went through all this. I, don't, I, I disagree with people that call this a big victory for Aaron Rodgers to have no. to come back and play this season in Green Bay. I don't agree. I think this thing went sideways. He tried to pull an NBA-type power play, and it didn't work. It did not go perfectly to plan. I, I think we, we should point out a couple of things, just the specifics of what they did with the contract. They did take a year off the end of it. They they also adjusted it in a way that, in theory, he could retire next year and they wouldn't take his money back, which isn't really... But it's not really, about money, right, Greg? Right. That's, but that's is what Aaron it, said. Right, but what that does, it allows him to control a trade process because he, that way, can essentially say... I won't go to the Panthers right. or I'll retire. And it just gives and they know that too. They're not, it's not like they're surprised by this. It just helps him to control a trade. But I do think we should say like he was not, he said, I am not closing the door on things, on things changing here and that I'm possibly here. So he knows like, look, if they win the Super Bowl this year, he wins the MVP. It's like, he's probably going to be on the Packers again next year. He's not going to stamp his foot and they'll, they'll probably just change where they're at. Like that, that part of it, I appreciated that he said that. I think that was newsworthy. And all this only happened because the Packers misevaluated him. That is the number one thing. They thought he was in decline, and they made a decision to take love. They were making a calculated risk that Rodgers is only going to be here two years. They thought he was in decline. His play last year was ultimately like the surprise, and now uh, all this mess I disagree, like, happens. I, we, this we didn't all, all the time. happen. It didn't they all happen he was just in decline, because of though. Jordan Love. It happened because the Packers tried to make a business decision and the quarterback, it wasn't enough they, of a W. If they thought he was going to play close to an MVP level, they listen, wouldn't draft Listen, I'm not saying the evaluation love. was right, but this happened. This entire mess this summer happened because it wasn't enough for the quarterback to win MVP and basically show everyone, hey, you messed up. He needed to take it that extra step. To me, that's ego, and that's what this has been about. I think that, to me, is what the, why this happened. It's Aaron Rodgers more than I, the I, Packers. I hear you, and I think that's... That's fair, but I did find him credible. And the one thing he was probably more adamant about than anything was that those leaks weren't coming from me. You can say what you want about the drama that was happening this summer. I can, and he was saying, I can promise you that is not coming from me or my camp. And I believe him. Like, I believe him. You know what? He could have slowed this down a long time ago. Like, if you want to complain about Schefter having certain things or the way things like that, I don't think that was coming from Aaron Rodgers. I think those. Everything that came out was because the Packers wanted it to come out. On Look, some he did level. not have to wait till July 28th to put a stop to some of this madness. That's the one thing I'd say. I mean, look at he said he spent the summer in introspective states working on his mental health. That is good. Yep. I think that's good for anyone. But he could have he could have slowed down this drama wheel. And frankly, I think a lot a way that a lot of the media 
um, bowed down to him yesterday. I found that 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 got on my nerves. It's only drama for right people now. like us who follow this this closely and hardcore fans. Like for for eighty percent of America, like they they knew that he was out and then he's back. Like by the time it matters, and like nothing ultimately changed. We're the, we're more annoyed about it because we have to cover. That also doesn't him. excuse it, though. I don't I don't know why and we're all, continually ex- making excuses for and the, it's what like happened if here. Aaron Rodgers walks into the middle of a, a dry forest and lights a match and sets the whole thing ablaze and then walks away. And then the Packers, as the forward-facing franchise that is at the center of the ear that uh, the ire that Rodgers has toward the team, they're getting, on a daily basis, barraged with information seekers and trying to handle the situation. Just because Rodgers isn't the one leaking stories, he started it! Rodgers would say Gutekun started it by, <laughs> by <laughs> drafting right. love. I mean, it's true. It's true. We mentioned... <laughs> We mentioned the Houston Texans, and it's... We know, should been, mention, by the way, Devontae Adams' press conference just quickly afterwards was, to me, almost a little more newsworthy that he said, of course, I'm not taking a dollar le- less to stay with Aaron Rodgers. Basically said, you know, it'd be nice to play with Aaron Rodgers, but I don't care where Aaron Rodgers plays next year. That has no uh, impact on my negotiations. I am going to be the highest paid receiver in the league because that's what I deserve and they're not offering me that and that's just my stance now and I'm not accepting anything less uh, from any team and if you want to play me with you know Tim Boyle next year in Detroit I'll do it if uh, if you make me the highest paid receiver in the league <laughs> I, mean, I thought that was interesting because keeping the bolt yeah, is I hope, tough I would hope he realizes he'll probably make more money if he takes the, a big paycheck from a team that has a really good quarterback in place. But, yes, I'm, <laughs> he should not take any discount. Make them make your money when you when you can. And if the Packers won't do it, there are 10 other. Right now, it's a golden age for quarterbacks. In our league, there are eight other quarterbacks who might end up in the Hall of Fame. Uh, go sign with one of those teams that I'm sure would happily pay you what you want. Um, all right, Deshaun Watson. Listen, we talked about it on Monday. We don't need to dive deep on uh, some of the – less savory aspects of what's going on with his story right now. Uh, But you should know that, yes, he is at training camp for the Texans, as is contractually obligated for Watson to be. But it doesn't sound like Texans head coach David Culley, who, again, feels like he's full on being asked to arrange the deck chairs on the Titanic here. A really tough situation for Culley right now. And... um, Cully said Watson is behind because he missed offseason workouts, needs as many reps as possible, and he's being used, Watson. This is an all-pro quarterback, a, an MVP-level player, um, as a fourth-string quarterback in practice. He also got some snaps at safety and running back. Uh, it all plays out like farce right now, Mark Sessler. What's your read on this? Well, I think it is a farce. I, I don't know. I don't understand, number one, if you're the Texans, why, you, you I, as we mentioned last show, we're not going to find you, but we don't need you here because this just simply needs to be taken care of before we have this happening. It, it, it is it, the last kind of news story that should be occurring right now. And I would say one thing. I don't know. Again, we don't know where the NFL is on their investigation. They clearly haven't come to a, its conclusion. But someone like Ezekiel Elliott, um, who went through that whole suspension process you know, a couple years ago, that happened without anything officially occurring legally outside. The NFL came to a decision, and I don't know why – we're in a place where anyone is saying it's a good idea to have Deshaun Watson out on the field um, in front of cameras practicing right now with what's going on behind the scenes. What is the point? He's no playing point. safety? What is happening? Are you kidding me? I, I don't know who to blame. I don't care almost who to blame. But this isn't – it doesn't make any sense. And they don't want Deshaun Watson out there when, when – 
tackling is starting in a couple of days. I this is coming to a head, and I think it's going to end with Deshaun Watson no longer practicing with the Texans. So wh- what are we waiting for? I mean, he's out there playing safety. It's crazy, and and a lot of I think listeners because I've seen some tweets about it are misunderstanding. There is a criminal investigation. Like more women came uh, forward this week. It's it's up to ten women. Uh, some aren't involved, actually, in the civil investigation. So Houston police is doing their investigation. The civil case is over 20. And whether he's allowed like to play or not while that's going on, I, I guess there are reasonable ways uh, that you could argue by that. But nothing's changed. Like, nothing's changed. The only thing I think that changed was I think the Texans and, to a lesser degree, the NFL and Deshaun Watson thought, we can get away with this, that there isn't going to be that it kind of quieted down and that people aren't going to be upset. But like if, if the point is to re- what I think the point is, is to show that he's out there, he's healthy, whatever, and he can be traded right now. Cause I think it's ma- been made clear. The Texans want to trade him, but I, I don't think they're getting offers. I don't, I don't think teams are interested in it right now. So it just seems like kind of a farce uh, with no easy solution. It's crazy. And just in another sport right now, Major League Baseball, Trevor Bauer is an all-star pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He is right now involved in a, a criminal investigation for sexual assault for a um, situ- situation that went down with a partner he had that he met online. And MLB's response to that is like, we got to get this guy off the field. So they set a one-week administrative leave, they called it. And they've extended it now, I believe, three weeks. And now it's extended through August 6th because... Again, the wheels of justice turn much more slowly than a, a sports calendar. And it's like the NFL needs to do whatever that is. If, is that the commissioner's exemplist? I don't know. But you got to get Deshaun Watson out of the picture until we have more clarity. It just come on, common sense police. Come in. In other news. My goodness. Xavier Howard led the NFL in interceptions last year. He had 10. The most since, I believe, Ty Law and the Jets back in 2007. Wow. Uh, for a really bad Jets team, by the way. Anyway, Rap Sheet reports that multiple teams have called the Dolphins inquiring about trading for the cornerback. Uh, he has requested a trade. He went on Instagram, laid out all of his issues. He doesn't like that the contract he signed two years ago is out of date and not in line with his level of play last season when he was an All-Pro. He doesn't like that he's not even the highest uh, paid player in his own secondary. Not uh, even close, point. he points out. That's Byron, yes, Byron Jones. Byron Jones has that offer. So, Greg, where do you come down on this? First of all, uh, who cares? He, he wants more money. He's outplayed his contract. We can get bogged down in that conversation if, if we wish. More interesting to me is, do the Dolphins really trade a player at this level when they're trying to take the next step? And if they do, what kind of value do you think he could bring uh, back in a trade? It, it sounds like they're listening. You know, they gave him that contract. He's under contract for four more years. In one of those two years, he missed a huge chunk of the season and didn't played like particularly well. He had the domestic violence arrest in between the seasons and then he was out of this world. My my issue is that arrest is not stopping him from playing football. No no one is saying that. But it has to be mentioned in the context of the trade because I think it absolutely affects the negotiation that he's going to have in a new contract. I, I think it also could affect the Dolphins' willingness to rip up a contract in good faith with four years left on it. And it's been left out. I've seen some long analyses about his situation that literally don't mention it. And and I'm not saying like that has to stop him from playing. The NFL is clearly not suspending him. Like, Of course, he still has value, but I think that's going to change 
the value that the Dolphins see in him potentially and another team in season because he's a riskier pickup. He's still one of the top seven or eight cornerbacks in the league in terms of average value of his contract. So it's not like he's getting paid nothing. I think it makes it very tricky. If, if that wasn't an issue, I think he could maybe get a first round pick and considering Tyreek Hill's contract and everything else, maybe it's not going to be an issue for some team, but I, I think it probably is an issue for this Dolphins team in terms of being interested in ripping up his deal right now. I think that's perfectly said because it's like they know him. They know what they're dealing with. Obviously, you know, you could argue he's their best player, but this other side of it, the off the field stuff, they that probably slowed the wheels on them wanting to listen to him. And I get that he's sitting in a, you know, a tape study room with Byron Jones, seeing Byron Jones not do things he can do. And, and we talked about on the last show that like you, you, you're, you're with a coworker who you find out is making a lot more money than you. How does that Byron does not Jones feel well. right now reading this Instagram post? It's of course, like... of course. But I do think that, you know, not to be cynical, but there will always be another team that will look past the off the field stuff, um, sign, trade for him and give him a new contract. I just assume that's what will happen if Miami is unwilling mm. to do so. Uh, two years ago, the Dolphins stuck in another squabble with a star member of the secondary traded Minka Fitzpatrick for the to the uh, Steelers for uh, the 18th overall pick in the next draft. Kind of feels like where this this could be heading, but we shall see. In other, there's more COVID news, by the way. But I'm just I'm just pushing it back to the end of news. I just don't want to talk about it. Okay, so let's instead talk about how Michael Thomas might be a knucklehead and the Saints and the star wide receiver probably headed for a divorce sooner rather than later. Speaking on Wednesday, Saints coach Sean Payton said that Michael Thomas should have undergone his ankle operation earlier and still waiting till summer. Uh, Here is a little bit from Payton. Well, look, it appears we're going to have to spend some time without him. Um, It's disappointing, and we'll work through it with the the other players that are here. Um, But the surgery took place, and obviously – you know, we would have liked that to have happened earlier than later. And and quite honestly, it should have. Mm. Ooh, he ain't happy, Greg. I can see this Saints season going a lot of ways. Aaron Schatz, who's going to be on later, you know, has the Saints pretty high. The football outsiders uh, do. In the first eight weeks of the season, they play the Packers. They're at New England. Uh, they're at Seattle. Tampa's in there. That's not in a row, but those are some of the hardest games in the first eight. That's all before the trade deadline. I think one of the scenarios, at least for the Saints, is they do not have a winning record You know, in those eight games. They have a losing record, and that Michael Thomas is is taking up a lot of airtime on NFL Network in this podcast as, as a potential trade candidate. Yeah, I mean, you, you're looking at like Marquez Callaway now playing a major role, and we were kidding about little Jordan Humphrey last show, but he now is a factor. I mean, they... They signed Chris Hogan, who you're not in this day and age thinking is going to play a major role for your offense. He was playing pro offense, lacrosse. But... He was literally playing right. pro lacrosse. I don't know how, how good he was. Any starting wide receiver for the 2020 New York Jets you do not want on your roster. And they need help at wide receiver because, by the way, Saints wide receiver Deontay Harris, he was arrested. It wasn't reported until this week. But on uh, July 16th, he got himself popped on a DUI. Uh, and that usually leads to a suspension of two games. Uh, so they might be without him as well. So, again, we talked about a little bit on Monday. The Saints, big question mark uh, around that team. I'm not doing the COVID story yet. Uh, and they got to doing... play Aaron Rodgers in week one. It's been a bad week for the Saints. They that's, don't. that's the uh, Fox 425 week one game. Troy, Joe, 
settle in. Will we be at our new studio? We don't know. We'll we see. don't know. It could be bore 25 by the uh, end of the second quarter. Nailed it. The Washington football team <laughs> re-signed defensive tackle Jonathan Allen to a four-year, $72 million contract extension. Mark, you got to love what the Washington football team is doing. Um, they are getting nasty in those trenches, and they, they think we got a good thing going on on both sides of the ball. Let's get Jonathan Allen under contract for a bunch more years. No-brainer to get the contract. He turns 30 at the end of it, so he'll probably get another contract. I mean, Montez Sweat is going to get paid at some point. You're obviously going to keep Chase Young around for a long time. So I think, you know, if when you watch when you watch Jonathan Allen, the one thing about him is he had the lowest percentage of any interior defender in the league of pressures created when he was he had multiple people on him. I mean, this guy is constantly getting double and triple teamed and, sh- and throwing people off left and right. His tape is pretty fascinating, mm. and I think he's the heart and soul of that that interior line. I mean, they've got they're nasty for a reason. If you want to look at the Washington team as a playoff team, it starts with that defensive front. Was Sessler breaking down some Jonathan Allen done. tape? On I mean, I, when he's I back. like look at I'm, I'm, I went out and watched some stuff, and I mean, there's he actually been nice. a pe- couple people that were crowing about him before the extension, where they put like one of these like eighteen kind of clips in a row of what mm. he did, and the guy is like just a nice. jet, he's like a, a, a car standing up with arms, throwing people around. I like <laughs> a him. sneaky amount of the best players on Washington were drafted in that that like 18 months or two years that Scott McLuhan was there. Yeah. Who before he left in an unfortunate circumstances. But a lot of those picks are the ones that are the highest paid players on Washington right now. Well, McLuhan also pushed for Baker Mayfield to be picked by the Browns at number one. So he's got his fingerprints all over the place. Dak Prescott. Underwent an MRI MRI after leaving Wednesday's practice with arm soreness. Diagnosed with a strained muscle in his throwing shoulder. Um, Mike McCarthy said after the fact that the injury is, quote, minor. uh, But it does appear that it will cost him some time. And then our own Jane Slater, friend of the show, uh, tweeted out uh, just a few minutes ago, in fact, that uh, he is practicing Dak Prescott. However... He's acting as a running back for backups and individual drills. He throws the ball back with his left non-throwing hand. Uh, Jane added, he's out there with the quarterbacks as well, going through scramble drills, dropping back with feet, but not throwing the ball. While doing it, the crowd is singing him happy birthday. Oh, that's Happy nice. birthday, Dak Prescott. Happy birthday. I'm it's got to be disappointed. Not worried, I'm not worried about this. If I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm not worried about it. Unless a week from now, he's still throwing it left-handed with the running backs. Well, that's the sound of it. It sounds like it's going to be two to three weeks. Um, the local reporters believe mm, that's how well, he's going to sit. that's a little bit different. And, and, they all, and look, of course, we hope Dak's fine. He, more than likely, it's probably not a huge issue. But here's the thing. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. Oh, this is not a big story. They also say how vital every one of these practices is are how important it is that Dak's back out there, like how much he's gaining from it. They, they, you do not go get an MRI and then you do not, after looking at that MRI, sit the guy for two to three weeks. If there's no concern whatsoever, it's this weird time of year where it's always like, Oh, everyone's going to be fine from by week one. That's what they said about Amari Cooper and DeMarcus Lawrence at one point. Oh, they're going to be fine by training camp. Well, it turns out they're, they're going to miss the first three or four weeks after major surgery. They've been out for seven months. Like at some point it's fair to be skeptical. And I just don't think it means nothing. Like it's a little bit of a concern to have a shoulder problem right off the bat. It's a throwing shoulder. I mean, of course it's a concern and it's the kind of thing that can, you know, it could nag. It could go on. But I would say this. like I think the real acid test would be if this happened in week two, 
how quickly would he practice or play? I mean, there is logic to just saying, see you later. We don't need you at, we don't need you on the field on any level until the games matter. Especially when your backup's still Cooper Rush. What are we doing here? We just went through a whole season, Cowboys, and your backup right. is like, what? And I, I think they, if I, I, they, I think they came in and threw five interceptions as a trio, the backup quarterbacks today, which I get it. It's a practice. But still, it was like they were dominated by the Cowboys' defense. So if one of those guys are seeing live bullets, El Problemo. Um, isn't it cute when your kids say something and it's so cute that you can't even correct them? Um, my <laughs> son Harry today said he's possessed by a video, and he meant obsessed, but I just couldn't <laughs> correct him. It was too cute. And and my eldest son Jack, about three years ago or four years ago, um, doing various like Batman and Joker things, he was like, "Oh, he got dropped into the acid." instead of acid <laughs> and I've never corrected him and now he's almost seven years old and he still says acid uh, but I just I don't I don't want to lose in. that I don't want to lose that you can't step in I, Colton I mean, refers to maybe Colton other refers kids will to think girls that's cute. as goyles goyles he's like I, I like do you like do you talk to girls in your class along with boys he goes I don't talk to the goyles I was like I'm just gonna let you roll with that I think my that sounds very Popeye-ish my grandfather Keith Hans's dad Paul we knew him as Baba. Um, pronounced girls as Goyles <laughs> till the very end. He lived till he was ninety-one. So, if you if you don't get a handle of it, that's where it's heading. Well, you're right. But I, I found it to be endearing. But just a heads up, it might not correct itself. It might, you know, like a lot of things get like made fun out of you sometimes in middle school. That's like the time, or, or maybe early high school. Sometimes if if a kid starts pointing that out but it could go the other way people could find it totally charming it could sweep uh the greater los angeles area well it's his journey <laughs> baba drove a bus in new york city and uh he called everybody sam like oh sam best part of uh driving a bus are the goyles you pick them up <laughs> <laughs> best part <laughs> all right finally in the news espn's adam schefter reported that Lamar Jackson not participating in Ravens training camp due to a, quote, COVID-related case the league is still trying to process. Mike Garofolo followed up that report, said it's unclear how long Jackson will be out. And Jackson missed time last year after testing positive for COVID-19. There were a bunch of outbreaks uh, on the Ravens last year. So you got Trace McSorley and Tyler Huntley taking snaps at Ravens camp. Uh, and if you're wondering, of course, everyone is, is Lamar Jackson vaccinated? He's gotten he's gotten sick qu- twice now. It's private. We don't know. He, uh, he yeah, he, that's how he answered the question back it's in private. June uh, that he wasn't going to answer it. They have clarified, though, uh, for for the listeners, he did test positive for COVID. You know, they announced that. And a lot of players are. Gus Edwards did. I, I was surprised. I think the other day, 14 positive tests, because they are clarifying now who's testing positive. There's almost no players missing time for being a close contact. And there's been double digits, uh, double digit players testing positive for COVID multiple days. And we'll kind of know, Dan, probably whether he was vaccinated or not, because the rule is if you 
aren't vaccinated, you are out minimum 10 days. And then after that, you have to pass tests. Um, if you are vaccinated, you can come back quicker if you start uh, testing negative sooner than that. So if for some reason he came back sooner, we, we would know. Uh, but that's that's a pretty big chunk of training camp uh, after it took him out in the middle of the, the playoff race last year. The thing that stands out to me also, Trace McSorley, Tyler Huntley. You lost Lamar Jackson a year ago for a game. He's the kind of quarterback that, you know, he's been lucky injury-wise, but he's the kind of quarterback that could, you know, at some point take the type of hit that takes him out for a bit. This team has not done enough at backup quarterback because the way they looked, even with RG3 in there a year ago, one of the worst offenses in the league without Lamar Jackson in there. Do you think anybody that's answering it's private to the COVID vaccine question actually got the vaccine? No. And they're choosing to be private I think, about it? I think that or seems to be like the it's lingo code, of It's the... a code for we haven't gotten it. The only right. thing is some players, a lot of players in mid-June had not been vaccinated. The league rate was under 50 at that point. Now it's, I think it, they said it's 90 or close to 90 league-wide. Like Darnold, for instance, was pretty vocal about that he didn't want to get it and then in the, in the meantime he has so we don't know if lamar did in the meantime but yeah usually i do think that we that we should start waltzing around because we have been but let's start telling people it's private now we did it but i'm just gonna i'm you're gonna think something about me but it's not gonna be true i've tricked you i like that i don't know what what you what you get out of it ultimately i, I get nothing i get literally nothing in fact I will but probably it's not a shunned, mystery you know because we've already now deduced that that's you're telling everyone you haven't got, but still, why not, well, Mark? That's fair. <laughs> that's what's happening in the news. All right, coming up next. Oh, this is good. This is good, boys. You got to get some. You got to get the the tastemakers, the intellectual tastemakers <laughs> of the football cognoscenti involved with this program. Okay, and here's one of them. Our next guest is the creator of Football Outsiders. He also, he's the guy behind most of their original statistical methods uh, in terms of NFL analysis. He, and then he's the lead writer. He's the editor. He's the statistician on that book series, Football Outsiders Almanac, which is the Bible. It's out now. Get it. If you want to get caught up to where things are in the NFL right now, dive into it. Here he is, Aaron Schatz. Welcome to the Around the NFL. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's great to be on with you guys. Oh, it is great to have you, Aaron. And, you know, and again, check it out because it's not just he doesn't uh, Aaron and his team don't just pick out certain teams. Everybody gets the deep dive. They get what I like to call and something we like to do on the show. The inside the NFL and the 80s treatment. Everybody gets their time. And if you dive in, you'll see a win projection and it's all there's a lot of math involved and study and analytical deep diving. So we're going to point out some of these um, uh, that really jumped out to us. And, Mark, I want you to get us going, because one <laughs> team that's near and dear to your heart uh, is not as high uh, in the world of football outsiders as it is elsewhere. Yeah, I would just want to say, first of all, that anyone who has never really read one of these epics that come out the minute they come out, I know my summer's over. And a lot is a tornado is approaching, but um. So there's really like a harbinger of doom. What the what? Is there a negative connotation to what? No, no, no. It's just level? it's kind of to me. It's sort of a it's it's a bookend on the season beginning. But there's some really wonderful writing too. I think that 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 what you guys do. It's not just data. It is some really incredible um, descriptions, and there's a lot of humor in there. So it's a fun read. Um, 
All right. Yes. Yeah, so let's get to it. My team, the Cleveland Browns, you know, you've, you've put them at an 8.6 uh, win estimation. Now that has them Ouch. as the eighth team in the AFC and out of the playoffs. Now, here's the thing. I am someone who already is inside thinking when the entire nation is jumping on Cleveland, which happens like maybe once every 14 years, only bad things can happen. But I, I, when, it, when it comes from you guys, I start to get a little concerned because I trust where you're coming from with this. What, are you, what is happening with the Cleveland Browns? Why are you zigging when so many other people are zagging? Yeah, I know it's tough because it's such an analytically oriented organization. Like we want to root for them. Like we want them to do well. But the problem is the Browns were not as good as their record last year overall. First of all, they, they were, I think, 17th in our DVOA rankings, despite being 11 and 5. DVOA is the main statistic that we use at Football Outsiders. They also, they were outscored by their opponents, despite being 11 and 5. If you look at projecting teams based solely on points scored and allowed, what they call the Pythagorean win theorem, uh, the Browns were one of the 10 biggest overachievers since the merger. Mm. So a lot of last year's sort of mediocre performance is tied up with two games when they got completely blown out by the Steelers and the Ravens early in the season. And you also have to kind of throw out the game against the Jets where they didn't have any wide receivers available. But even if you take those games out of the projection, uh, when we look at the numbers from last year that we use in our projection, their projection only improves a little bit. Their offense is good, but not great. I think we have projected something like eighth in the league, which is around where it was last year. And their defense is just like they added some guys, but they also lost a lot of guys. Like there's no Ogunjobi anymore. There's no Sheldon Richardson. There's no Olivier Vernon. They added secondary guys and they lost defensive linemen. Mm. But don't, is there any um, thought in terms of the projections of like second year offenses? Like there was such an improvement on their offenses or is that more working against them that like there was that big of a jump last year in terms of what they did offensively in their offensive line and that maybe that's going to be harder to keep up than people think? Yeah. yeah, it's sort of a balance between those two ideas. Like normally in your first year with new coordinators in a new system, all other things being equal, you take a little bit of a step back. Obviously, Cleveland did not, right? They got a lot better on offense. So the fact that they're likely to get a little bit even better than that in their second year is offset by the fact that they already jumped so much last year that you see you know, teams that normally jump a lot on one side of the ball tend to come back to the pack a little bit the following year. So the projection sort of balances those two things out. Mm. I think it's fair. I mean, and it's, you, you know. And Aaron, so, and a lot of the hype around the, and it's kind of, you're on an island a little bit industry-wise because you kind of see a lot of people seeing the Browns as not just potentially an AFC North favorite, but a, a Super Bowl contender. And perhaps they will be. We will find out. And then maybe you'll have to write a Mia culpa next year. We'll, we'll, we'll find out in time. But a lot of people point to the Browns, and I'll use them as an example to get into the next team here. Uh, the moves they made in free agency and the draft to fortify the middle of their defense, their secondary. And when you add in a, he a healthy Jadavian or a healthy Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett, uh, of course, now at full health post-COVID, they'll make the leap. It's all projection, though. The Chicago Bears, uh, with that said, uh, a team 8-8 eight and eight last year. They, they, they played like an 8-8 eight eight team. They finished 8-8. Eight eight. They snuck in the playoffs, got beat. You have them projected in 2021 at 7.3 wins. 
And I'm curious how, with what you do, because Justin Fields, what he brought to this organization, at least at the start, is hope. They're in the hope game again because of Justin Fields. But for you and your job, how do you come down at they're actually not going to be better? They'll take a step back despite having this dynamic young player that we've never seen at this level. The fact is dynamic young quarterbacks don't tend to play well in their rookie years. Like, for example, a lot of people feel like Miami should have already moved on from Tua Tagovailoa based on how he played last year. Do you know that Tua Tagovailoa had an above average year for a first round quarterback? Hmm. Going back how far? Like going back to 1983, but, but that's normalized for, you know, our stats normalized. So we know that right passing stats are way bigger now than they were 30 Mm -hmm. years ago. So that's accounted for. Um, He had an above average year when you compare him to, to uh, he was below average for the league, but for a first round quarterback, he was above average. And people don't, a lot of people don't even think of him as a promising young quarterback anymore. The fact is, We want to believe that these guys are all going to come in and be like what Justin Herbert was last year. But a lot of them don't. And you don't know who's going to be that guy who performs in his rookie year until you see him actually do it. Mm. So you have to kind of go into the year expecting that rookie quarterbacks are going to struggle, even first round picks. Like, do you feel like you have to be stronger like as 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 an individual to be such a wet blanket over all this hope Aaron like (laughs) like Mark's depressed right now no 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 yeah you've crushed his dreams there's Bears fans listening you've crushed their dreams like how how do you hold up with that oh I'm here for all of the Vikings fans and the teams where we're we're higher on them than okay yeah actually yeah you you pick you pick a, a team or two that you think um, people aren't as Wait, high on as, as well, they should be. Before we get to that, because I just it okay. connects to what we just said with Justin Fields and rookie quarterbacks. I see you got the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, pegged for seven point one, I believe. So yes. is is this because Lawrence is a true outlier, or is this one of those teams where people kind of got fogged over a little bit because of the one in fifteen and how it closed out? But there's actually more talent on this. Like, what are the factors that contribute to this team potentially jumping? into near contention in uh, the playoff race. Yeah, I think it's more the idea that there's probably more talent on this team than people thought there was last year, despite having the worst record. They weren't our worst team, despite having the worst record. The Jets were. And there's just a lot of regression. You know, the general statistical idea that teams tend to regress towards the mean, so bad teams get better. There is, you know, adding the number one pick is good, you know, in that we think that Lawrence is better than Gardner Minshew, but it's again like we're we're not projecting Lawrence to have an above average year because you just can't project a rookie quarterback to be above average. But I think their defense is better than people give them credit for. There's a lot of talent, young talent on that defense. Henderson only played eight games last year. Josh Allen only played eight games last year. And as we know, all Josh Allens in their third years get Mm. much, much better than they were before. (laughs) So I'm expecting Josh Allen, the defensive end, to have like 46 sacks this year. I got to admit, I think I think I made some like they've got the better Josh Allen jokes like when he was playing well as a rookie. Um, oh, I made those jokes. like like all of my Josh Allen Bills uh, references from the first two seasons of his career. Uh, I look like an idiot right now. How oh, well, I mean, the analytics world looks more like an idiot than anybody else. So, I mean, listen, I feel like Josh Allen is really the outlier. Like you cannot expect quarterbacks with his kind of college accuracy to suddenly transform in the NFL the way he did. 
if you can, if all that mechanical stuff that Jordan Palmer does with him and that they've had videos released, if that stuff really works, it totally changes the way you draft quarterbacks. But I'd need to see it work with someone else before I'm going to go drafting guys who are under 60% in college. Hmm. Greg, read, read T. Aaron, uh, because I liked where you were going with that. Yeah, like um, instead of instead of uh, the doom and gloom here, are are there teams that your projection system loves this year more than more than probably most analysts, and that you believe in too? Because I do see the thing you do sometimes, or it's in the writing, but or, or when you're talking, it's like, well, the projections like them a lot. I like that surprises me. I'm not sure, but which ones, you know, do you are you guys high on that you that you believe in? Sure, I'll give you two teams that we're really high on uh, that other people are not quite as high as we are. One is Minnesota Vikings. Mm. There are a lot of reasons to believe. Last year, they were sort of playoff contenders, kind of, you know, but it was really a rebuilding year. And there's a lot of ways in which they were particularly outliers in stats that tend to regress to the mean much stronger, like their special teams were terrible. And they were like most of their sacks they took on third down. And they were there was a huge difference between their offense on first and second down and their offense on third down. And that, you know, your offense on third down tends to come change to like meet what your offense is overall. Um, schedule strength is another one, although we have Minnesota projected with a hard schedule again. We have the whole NFC North projected with hard schedules. Uh, but we just think that that's a team that's going to be in playoff contention. I mean, they would have been the division favorite if Aaron Rodgers had been traded, but now everybody's making nice in Green Bay, so you can probably throw that out the window. But I think they're a, they're going to definitely be in playoff contention. The other is the New England Patriots. So we have this variable in the defensive projections that based on personnel, right? Like how much personnel do you lose? And last year the Patriots lost more personnel than any team we had tracked in this variable on defense since 2003. And that was before the COVID opt-outs. And then the COVID opt-outs just took that to a ridiculous level. This year, the Patriots are adding on net more defensive talent than any team we've tracked since 2003. When you include Hightower returning, and then all those guys they signed in free agency like Godshaw and Judon, and Jalen Mills, and even to Harvey Lange, like just a ton of guys. They have a bunch of added defensive talent. And so we really like the Patriots to return to the playoffs this year, even though we don't think their offense is going to be above average. Mm. How many people are just hitting you that you're just a homer, though? Because you are a Patriots fan. I I will say I am a Patriots fan, and I admit it. (laughs) And I will say Denver is fifth in that same stat where the Patriots are first. So we also like Denver. So there's a non-homer pick for you if you think the Patriots are a homer pick. <laughs> there you go. Aaron Schatz, you've said it all. Follow him on Twitter at F-O underscore A Schatz, S-C-H-A-T-Z. And go over to uh, footballoutsiders.com uh, if you want to get your hands on this almanac, which, again, whether you are just want to bone up for the season, if you're a fantasy head, there's a lot to find there as well. Aaron, thank you very much. And uh, I'm sorry that uh, – you are connected to doom and gloom for Mark Sessler and his personal life, but that's not your fault. That's I know. not your fault. It's just the way life is. It's just the way the numbers roll out of the computer, man. It's, I've got nothing against <laughs> Cleveland. I, I would love for those fans to have a winner, and I know people in the front office, so I'm rooting for them. Mm, it hurt It hurt when they got rid of Sashi. It hurt you more, more than it, most. It hurt when they got rid of Sashi, but our man Andrew Healy is still in the front office, so we're doing good with Cleveland. <laughs> All right. There he goes, Aaron Schatz. Thank you very, very much. All right. Good stuff.
Good show. We're rolling. The season's coming like a freight train. Coming little tomorrow. Pat type, little Pat type, little uh, unbiased little bit, Pat type. A little bit. I don't, you know. I don't know what I think about this. What a weird team they are. The idea I think they are a clear the bounce back Bears team. on defense feels a little overplayed, uh, but uh, I don't. I still think they have too many questions on offense. But I'm also, if Aaron Chats is a, a Pat's lover, you know, you know who I am. So I, I trust they, his computer. I the Pats to me strike me as a, a your classic nine and eight team. <laughs> Sounds well, about he, right. But I mean, he has them so, at nine point eight wins. So right, that, yeah, that's right there. Ten and seven, nice and they're going ten, to the playoffs. Seven. But uh, all right, good stuff. One little item before we go. Yes. yes. We have a real friend of the show who we met on our first trip um, to London. Tracy Crouch used to work in the House of Commons. Um, I have received word. Greg and, Greg and Eric and I were lucky to go on a tour of the House of Commons with her and another friend, Tim Shipman. And we saw like the Queen's. Greg, do you remember this? We saw the, the Queen's toilet, which most people are not allowed to see. We were guess, actually responsible uh, for Brexit. We got that going. In we the we did. Yeah, Very we popular. Did. <laughs> um, anyways, Tracy Crouch, uh, it, it was her birthday last week. And she is just, um, we have just heard that her partner, Steve, proposed to her to Ooh. be married. So that oh, is a man. huge congratulations from our show. Congratulations. Love it. I, I you know, if I had watched The Crown uh, before um, we had gone to London, I would have went with you that day. But as I recall, both Wes and myself said, no, we're just going to lay in our hotel rooms, respective <laughs> hotel rooms for I six mean, hours. This doesn't happen in the U.S. Like digni- multiple dignitaries don't reach out to us to be like, hey, let's let's give you a private tour of Congress or whatnot. But w- when we're over there, it's just like uh, roll out the red carpet. It's it like happened. Serious yeah. respect, Dan. Yeah, I know you're all about respect. That's the, I am all about respect. I would like to go to like, Invite us to the San Bernardino uh, town council meeting. We'll be there. <laughs> you ever been to like San Bernardino? I don't think you want to go government. there. Government. We're just into it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we drove to uh, Big Bear a few years back. It was me, Mark, and Wes. And uh, Mark kept on talking up this bar in San Bernardino. We got to stop at this bar in San Bernardino. And uh, so we, sure enough, we said, okay, Mark, we'll, we'll stop there. We pull into this place, and if you've ever seen the movie, uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote it. I, I think Robert Rodriguez directed it from Dusk Till Dawn when George Clooney and Tarantino in an acting role get locked into a, a, a bar that actually is a vampire hangout, and they just devour all truckers and anyone that's a living soul. Great movie, very violent, very uh, just fun. Check it out, Dusk Till Dawn. That's where Mark took us in San Bernardino. I'll never forget that bar, just the sense of darkness that hung over it. Well, all right. So the first time I had gone, it had a little bit of a different vibe, but you are correct. That was the vibe that day. And I don't even think we stayed for more than five minutes. I think we we hauled it out oh, of no, there. We stayed. We stayed Did for we? a couple rounds because uh, we kept on waiting. Wes and I was like, what, what is the magic of this place that Mark uh, hyped up so much? And the, the magic never came. Yikes. Well, ownership change. <laughs> anyway always good to reminisce about the good old days uh yes friday tomorrow around the nfl broadcast we're making some changes to that show and uh we're working on it and we're looking forward uh to unveiling the uh broadcast 2.0 come week one but we still have great stuff uh coming up for you on friday on the tv side and then we'll be back uh monday with another edition of this fair podcast thank you to everybody 
thank you to Lil Romeo for understanding uh, that a mistake was made and Greg was a class act all the way owning up to it. Does he understand? I mean, this is more pop than Lil Romeo's had in a, in a minute. No, yeah, you always got to get that dig in. Why Sorry. are you digging Sorry. a new hole? Yeah. All right. Dan has a signing off for <laughs> Lil. What do we decide? Lil 60? Little, I don't know. <laughs> Little G. Little G. Little G. Uh, the old, uh, well, the sizzler. Quiet storm. Uh, and Ricky Hollywood behind the virtual glass. Till Monday. Heed the call.